and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. So without further ado, uh, our spiritual father at Beloved Church, Andrew Womack. Thank you very much. So what a blessing. Man, I'm, I heard a little bit of Steve's testimony about his mom, Sharon, and how he died and was brought back. Man, this is just miracles. Everything here is a miracle. And to see the way that God has uh, enabled you to redo the church building here and draw people and stuff, this is awesome. I tell you, I believe that God's pleased. God's pleased with y'all. Amen. And I can tell that y'all love the Lord by the way you're singing, so that's just great. Let me turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 5. And I just want to share with you, I'm sure that these are things that you've heard Steve and Kay share and other people share. But I just want to share with you about the goodness of God, that God is a good God. He's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. And did you know that most religion is not teaching that? Right now, there are churches meeting all around the world, and yet the vast majority of them are saying that God is angry, that God is ready to judge you. They're trying to make people feel guilty and condemned about things. And I am not saying... That our actions aren't important. And I'm not saying that there isn't a coming a time that we are going to give an account of what we've done. But the good news is that Jesus came and bore all of that punishment that you and I deserved. And it's the gospel that is the power of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And the word gospel means good news. And sad to say, a lot of churches today aren't preaching good news. They're saying that there's a hell, you're going to hell, repent or else, turn or burn. And did you know that those things are true if a person doesn't know the Lord? But it's not good news. It's not the gospel. It's the good news of what Jesus did that gives people the power to believe and receive. It says that it's the power unto salvation. And the word salvation there isn't limited to just your initial forgiveness of sins. But it's talking about it's the power unto healing, deliverance, joy, peace, uh, freedom from depression, discouragement. Anything, anything that came as a result of what Jesus did is a part of salvation. It's not only talking about forgiveness of sins. You know, I was raised in a church that preached that salvation was all about just the forgiveness of sins. And once you got saved, it was over until you go to heaven. You were saved and stuck. And uh, we saw people born again. I got born again when I was eight years old and I was truly changed, but I wasn't told that it was God's will to prosper us and to give us victory and joy and power and all of these things. It was like we sang the song, when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. But man, in the rough now and now, there was no victory whatsoever. You just got saved and held on for, you know, as, as best you could and hoping that you could go to heaven. 
And because of that, my dad was the chairman of the deacons, but he died when I was 12 years old. He was sick. He actually died when I was two years old and was raised from the dead. That's another story. But he was sickly and he, he was the chairman of the deacons, but they didn't preach healing. They didn't understand that. And so anyway, I lost my dad and grew up just not understanding that, that the gospel gives you power to overcome sickness, overcome everything. It wasn't a full gospel at all. And so because of it, when I found out that, man, Jesus paid for everything, I became fanatical with it. And I just started believing God. And by the grace of God, we've seen a lot of really, really awesome things happen. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, these are some of the verses that the Lord used to transform my life. Verse 17 just totally changed me. I'm going to read it, but in the name of Jesus, I'm trying not to preach on this because I could stay here forever. Matter of fact, I got a book entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body that's based on this. But it says in verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, that is so familiar to most people that they don't know what it says. They just pass over it. But man, that's powerful. Your body did not become new. You still got the same body that you had before you got saved. If you were a man, you're still a man. If you were a woman, you're still a woman. I don't care what you feel like. You are. So your body didn't change and your soul hasn't changed automatically. Your soul is subject to change. You can renew it. Talks about in Romans 12, 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you can change the way you think, and ultimately the way you think in, uh, controls the way you act. So you can see the soulish realm change. But this is talking about it's in the spirit that you were changed. And this is what changed my life. Because when I saw this and understood that the change happened in my spirit, and it didn't matter what it looked like or felt like. In the spirit, I was identical to Jesus. If you've been born again, every one of you who've been born again have the fullness of God living in your spirit. Man, when I saw that, that changed my life. And I didn't have a clue how to get it from my spirit out into my physical body. But just knowing that I had it changed the whole thing. I often say it's like an old squirrel. If he... Doesn't quit. You know, an old blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. And I just knew that this power was in me. I saw that in Christ I was a new creature. And at 1 John chapter 4 verse 17, as he is, so are we in this world. It didn't say so are we going to be in the next world. So are we in this world. When I saw that, I just knew that inside of me was this raising from the dead power. That inside of me was an ability to overcome whatever the devil threw at me. And I didn't know how to get it out, but it just so excited me. I started praying for anything that moved. I mean, I prayed for, I I bet you I prayed for hundreds of people before I saw the first person actually healed. And I prayed for lots of people who were blind before I saw the first blind eye open. But just knowing that it was in here, I started trying to release it and in the process... Uh, If you don't quit, you learn a lot of things. 
along the way. So anyway, this verse just literally transformed my life. But I'm wanting to focus on the uh, verses right after this. In verse 18, it says, and all things are of God. This is talking about the part of you that's born again. In your spirit. Man, it's hard for me to say this without trying to explain it because most people don't think this way. Most people are what the Bible calls carnal. And I I know that a lot of people take that as a criticism and stuff. The word carnal just means you're controlled or dominated by your five senses. What you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. This is the way that most people live. You know, we just had a meeting and we prayed for people. And I remember talking to this one person and and, uh, I said, you're healed. And they said, well, I don't feel any different. That's what the Bible calls carnal. It doesn't matter what you feel. But most people, well, how can I live? I mean, how can I say that I'm healed if I can't feel that I'm healed? See, that's most people don't believe that there's anything that exists beyond this physical realm and your mental emotional realm. And that's what the Bible calls carnal. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a terrible person. All terrible people, all all uh, rapists and murderers and stuff are carnal. But you can be carnal and be holy. You can be as straight as an arrow, as straight as a gun barrel and twice as empty. You could do everything right and be totally carnal. If you are a person that can't believe and function outside of what you see... Taste, hear, smell, or feel. You're what the Bible calls carnal. And so this is saying that when you got born again, you became totally brand new. And some people struggle with that because they look in the mirror and they don't see the change. They search their emotions and they still have some of the same feelings. And so they say, I just don't understand the Bible. It's because you are looking for God in just your physical body. It's in the spirit. It says in John 4, 24, that God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to worship Him through your spirit. And your spirit is the part of you that old things passed away, all things became new. And it says in verse 18, all things are of God. In your spirit, there is no impurity. There is no lack. There's no inadequacy. The Bible says in Galatians 5.22 and 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's describing what's in your spirit. Your spirit is full of love. So guess what? Anytime you aren't full of love, you aren't in the Spirit. Amen. And some people say, well... I don't feel the love of God. Oh, God, pour out your love. That's actually a wrong way to approach it. Because in your spirit, you're already full of love, joy, and peace. When you don't feel love, instead of saying, oh, God, just reveal your love, pour your love out to me. What you need to do is say, Father, I'm sorry for being carnal. I'm sorry that I'm just going by what I feel. I'm sorry that I'm trying to find you in just the physical realm and I'm not relying on what your word says. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse, um, I'm not sure, verse 6, somewhere around there, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You have the love of God. If you're born again, you are full of the love of God. If you've ever seen anybody full of the love of God and you look at them and think, I wish I could be that way. You are in your spirit. 
You just haven't got it released through your mind and into your body and into your emotions yet. But you have the love of God, the fullness of the love of God on the inside of you. It says you also have joy. And I meet so many people that come to me and say, would you please pray that I would have the joy of the Lord? No, I won't pray that because you've already got it. I've got a book entitled, You've Already Got It, so quit trying to get it. And people don't understand this and they're just going by, well, I don't feel joy. All that means is you're carnal. It just means that you are going and being controlled by what you feel. And some of you are thinking, well, man, I kind of like to feel it. You know, it's amazing, but when you become spiritually minded and find out who you are in Christ and start walking by the Spirit and by what the Word says, I'm not denying feelings, but feelings follow what you think. They don't perceive what you think. And when you begin to start finding out who you are in Christ and what you have, you'll have all of the joy. I am one happy person. And I guarantee you, I've got a lot of uh, people that hate me. I've, we've been two or three months that I'm trashed every week in the paper. They, they just say bad things about me. But you know what? I'm not, it doesn't keep me up at night and stuff because I've got joy in my heart and I'm focused on the Lord. And I have joy and I have peace and I'm not discouraged and I'm not depressed. And I'm not all of these things because in my spirit I've got joy and I'm walking in who I am in Christ. So I'm not saying that you ignore your body and that you ignore your emotions, but you don't let them control you. You control your emotions. I pick how I feel. And I focus on what God has done. And as you keep your mind stayed upon the Lord, Isaiah 26, 3 says, The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. If you don't have perfect peace... And I can spend an hour describing that, contrasting what the world calls peace to what the Bible calls a peace that passes understanding. It has nothing to do with what you're feeling or seeing. But if you aren't in perfect peace, it's because your mind's not stayed upon God. It's because your mind is stayed upon what they're writing about you in the paper or what somebody said about you. Or you've been listening to, you know, as the stomach turns on television, which is just producing all of this bad stuff. I had, I had a woman come to me last night and she was fighting depression and she was saying, I just have all of these problems. And I said, there is not a thing wrong with your emotions. Your emotions function properly. It's what your focus is what the problem is. You're focused on the wrong thing. If you would be focused on who you are and what Jesus has done for you, I guarantee you there would be joy unspeakable and full of glory. But it's different than the joy that you have in the world when there's just no problem. You know, we don't, go, we don't have situations where there's no problems very often. Most of the time you, you have some problem or there's one on the horizon, one will be coming. But uh, in, we live in a fallen world and you just are never going to have true joy and peace and all of the fruit of the Spirit. And if you are carnal and looking for it in just the physical ways. But I tell you, I've had uh, joy in the midst of terrible situations. I had my son die. And uh, he was uh, dead. They woke us up at 4.15 in the morning. And, and my oldest son called and said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but Peter's dead. And I said, what happened? And you know what? Jamie and I had to get up and get dressed and head into town. We were, four, uh, we were an hour outside of uh, Colorado Springs. 
And during that period of time, I started to having uh, depression or discouragement or, you know, grief, anything that anybody else would have. But I just refuse. I know that I can control how I feel. And I didn't like feeling grief. And I didn't like sorrow. And I just said, I will not have it. I know what I'm saying is rare as hen's teeth to a lot of people like, you can't do that. I can do it. I can choose how I want to feel. And I just chose to start praising God. And I said, God, I am... I am not going to grieve. You are a good God. You didn't do this. You aren't the one that killed my son. And I just started praising God. And I started thanking God for his goodness. Even though my son had died, I chose to praise God. And did you know, when you do that, the Bible, there's many scriptures that talk about that praise. You abound in faith with thanksgiving. Colossians 2, 7, that praise is strength to still the enemy and the avenger. And uh, Psalms 8, 2 with Matthew chapter 21. And there's scriptures that the Lord has taught me. And I just started praising God. And did you know when I did, the faith of God rose up on the inside of me. God reminded me of prophecies. And man, I just sat and declared that he will not... Stay dead. He's coming back. He had been dead for five hours. He was in a morgue, stripped naked. He was a white boy, and he was black. He turned totally black, stripped naked, had a toe tag on, in a fr- on a freezer. And he sat up and started talking after five hours. And no brain damage. No more than he had had before. It was awesome. And he was just with me in Chicago, and he's the one that puts our LED screen up and does all of that, and the guy's alive and well. And the year after he was raised from the dead, I had my granddaughter, the only grandchild that I've got, and uh, and it was awesome. And it was because I chose to be controlled by your flesh, by your feelings, by what you see is bondage. It's bondage. And the Lord set us free. Not just set us free from hell. That's awesome. If that's all there was to it, that'd be more than we deserve. I'd thank Him forever just for that. But He set you free from being controlled by how you feel. If somebody spits on you. I've had people spit in my face before. And you know what? Big old wad of tobacco and I just wiped it off and kept talking. Didn't miss a single word in the sentence. I kept telling them about the love of Jesus. I've had people threaten to kill me. I've been kidnapped. I've had a lot of things happen to me. And you know what? I still just continue to praise God. I am not going to let what somebody does to me or what circumstances do to me change how I feel. And if you're one of those that when something bad happens, you just fall apart like a $2 suitcase and you can't control yourself, that's bondage. Amen. Some of you are looking at me strange. You think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. To have love, joy, and peace on the inside and you aren't going to use it. Instead, you're going to go because this person said something to you. This person did this because you don't have enough money because of, you know, whatever. And because of this, you're going to let it affect your emotions. The whole time you're sitting there 
depressed and discouraged, sucking your thumb, talking about how bad everything is. Your spirit is just basking in the love of God. If that's true, which it is, then why would you sit there and let your physical emotions, the carnal realm, control you instead of being controlled by who you are in Christ? I have to believe that the reason most people don't live by the Spirit and what they have in the Spirit is because of ignorance. They just honestly don't know that this has happened. They think that all that's real is what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. But did you know that there's... There's a spiritual realm. Right now, there are angels and demons in this place. Some of you say, how do you know that? I hadn't seen them. I haven't heard them. I can't touch them. But the Word of God says it. I even know two of my angels' names. It says, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So, amen. It says the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who love him. I've never seen that. But did you know, I know it's true. I read over in um, 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha had multitudes of angels, horses and chariots of fire surrounding him. And the New Testament says that what we have as New Testament believers is greater than anything they ever had. So if Elisha had thousands of angels around him. I've got thousands of angels around me and you've got thousands of angels around you. Man, this place is crowded. There's a lot going on. But I can't see it. I can't feel it. But when I focus on what the Word says, see, the Word of God is like a window. It's, it's like a way to see into the spiritual realm. It says, Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, it's the spirit that quickens. The word quicken means makes alive. It's the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. Boy, that is so different than us. To us, the flesh is everything. The flesh is the focus. You have a hangnail, a little toenail problem or something. Man, it just ruined your whole day. The flesh dominates and controls. But Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word reveals spirit to us. And so what you've got to do is get to where you walk by the spirit and not by your sight, not by your feelings, not by just your thought life. You have to get to where God's Word is more real to you than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And that's exactly what happened when my son died. I didn't deny that my son died. I didn't deny that I had negative emotions, but I refused to allow them to dominate me because I am not only physical. I also have a spirit on the inside of me and I am going to walk by the spirit and not walk by the flesh. And when I made that choice and started praising God is when the spirit of God started flowing. And that's when this resurrection power came. That's when my son was raised from the dead. And you have a choice. You have a choice whether you're going to become bitter or better. You have a choice whether you are going to take the Word of God and stand on what it says, or if you're just going to live like everybody else, like a mere human being. You just go by what you feel, what you see. But this is, this is what the doctor said. The doctor can only check your physical body. They can't check your spirit. Right. 
But in your spirit, you've got raising from the dead power. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. You've got the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. A doctor can't find that. They, can't, they don't have a test for it. But I'm telling you, the Word of God says, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, that you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, are you going to function in what you have in the spirit? Or are you going to go by what the doctor says about your physical body? Are you going to go by what the spirit says? That he's already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Or are you going to go by what your bank account says? Are you going to go by what, you know, whether it's in the red or whether it's in the black? See, most people just totally live in this natural realm and think that this is all there is to it. And they look at somebody who's talking the way I do is, man, you're weird. You're, you're, deni- you're in denial. I'm not in denial. I don't deny that the flesh exists. I don't deny that there are times that I don't feel faith and that I don't feel like doing certain things. I don't deny any of those things, but I do deny that that's all there is to me. There's a spiritual part of me that I am identical to Jesus because it is his spirit that is sent into my heart crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. I have his spirit living on the inside of me and it's at my disposal. He told me he gave me uh, his name and that I can say in the name of Jesus, I can release his power and I have a choice. And I know that there's some of you here that you know, this is Sunday morning, you're sitting in church, you got your best church face on, and you're nodding your head, but during the week, man, if you don't feel joy, well then you just settle in, well I'm depressed, and you give in to depression, you give in to fear, you give in to discouragement and stuff, and you don't have to. Every one of you have been given everything that you need to be above only and not beneath. The head and not the tail is what Deuteronomy chapter 28 says. Man, I talk to people sometimes. How are you doing? Well, not too bad under the circumstances. What are you doing under there? You're supposed to be above only and not beneath. Why do you let circumstance? You can choose how you feel. If that's true, if you can choose how you feel, why would you choose to be depressed? And again, somebody, well, I didn't choose this. Yes, you did. You chose to focus on your problems. The Lord said he'll keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed upon him. If your mind is stayed upon him, you'll have perfect peace. If you don't have perfect peace, it's because your mind is not stayed upon him. Isaiah 26, 3. So there's nothing wrong with your emotions. It's your focus. You are focused on the bad things. And there's plenty of bad things out there. I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. And you know, that's true. If you're just going to talk about the physical, natural realm. We are seeing things happen that I never thought I'd see happen in my lifetime. You know, Steve was talking about first responders, people going into the military. And man, they're having to fight things. They don't have the support of people. People are defunding the police, ambushing the police. I mean, it's terrible. I never thought I'd see these things happen in my lifetime. There's a lot of bad things going on. I mean, bad, bad things. People can't even figure out which bathroom to go into. I mean, it's like people have lost their ever-loving mind. It's just crazy. And if you are focused on that, I guarantee you it's depressing. It's discouraging. 
And so that's what causes depression is you focused on all of the negative things. You know, I've got so many, <laughs> I've got so many challenges against me right now. If I was to tell you some of my problems, most of you'd go to feeling sorry for me. <laughs> I've got a lot of problems. I could, uh, I could focus on them. And if I did, I'd be discouraged. I'd be depressed. But I've also got so many good things that God is doing. And it's up to me whether I choose to think about it. Somebody says, well, I hadn't got any good thing in my life. Boy, it's a good thing I'm not God. (laughs) I just turned you into a little pile of ashes right now. Man, you think you hadn't got anything to praise God for? You live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And despite the things that we see happening, this is the best thing afloat. You've got freedom and liberties. You are living in luxury that kings in, in past times wouldn't have ever dreamed that you could stick a, you know, a cup in, of water in a microwave and in just a few seconds have the thing hot. And all of the conveniences and travel that we've got. And on and on. And you've got things that most people that have lived on this planet have never had. And you're going to focus on what you don't have instead of what you do have. That's your choice. And that's the reason that you get depressed and discouraged. You know, I've got uh, 26 acres on the place where I live. And it's just solid trees. And uh, so I'm doing fire mitigation. I'm cutting trees down, cutting off limbs, hauling them off and doing all of this. And anyway... 26 acres is a lot of land to mitigate. One day I was, I was hauling trees that I had cut up to the road where I could haul them off with my skid loader. And uh, I was doing this and I walked 61, the equivalent of 61 flights of stairs in one day pulling this wood up and down. And it's just a lot of work. So anyway, my point is that when I drive down my driveway, nearly every time I'm looking and thinking, oh man, that tree needs to come down. I need to do this. And I just constantly see all that I've got to do. And this last week as I was driving, the Lord spoke to me and he says, why do you always look at what you've got to do instead of what you've already done? And I just consciously started saying, man, this part looks really good. And I started looking at what I had done instead of what I needed to do. And it changed my whole attitude. And there are some of you that all you do is look at what you don't have instead of what you do have. You need to go to praising God for things being as good as they are. You know, I was teaching this very message probably 30 something years ago. And there was a man, uh, Pastor Bob Nichols who's a good friend of mine. He's on my board of directors and has been like a mentor to me. And he pastored Calvary Cathedral in Fort Worth, Texas. And his daughter had a car wreck and hit her head, started having headaches. And in about two years, she went into seizures. And I was actually in the hospital when, when the doctors walked into her room and said, Pastor Bob, you need to pull the plug. She's brain dead. And he just was polite to him, says, no, that's not what we're believing. And he stood and believed. And anyway, it's now been 25 years later and she's still alive and she, she uh, can't function. She, they say they do tests on her every once in a while and according to them, she's dead. She has no brain function, but she can stand. She can take a few steps. Every once in a while, if you do something, she'll yell and say no. 
And she's there, but according to them, she's not there. Pastor Bob has had to have 24-hour-a-day nurses in his home for 25 years or whatever it is. His wife is dealing with memory loss. He was going through financial problems in his church. And on and on I could go. He, this guy had more problems than most of us have ever dealt with. And as I was saying this about focusing on the good and praising God for the good and not focusing on the bad. <laughs> Pastor Bob, just on the front row, he stood up and threw his Bible on the floor. And he says, I've had all of this I can take. I can't take it anymore. Thank you, Jesus, that things are so good. And he just started praising God. For how good everything was. And nearly everybody there knew how bad things were for him. And boy, you just started seeing people hit the floor and apologize. Oh God, forgive me and repent. Man, if you think you got things bad, I I guarantee you, I've dealt with enough people. If I could talk to you personally, I could mention people that have had it ten times worse than you've had it. And they're still praising God. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's up to you whether you focus on who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, or whether you walk by your flesh and let your feelings and your emotions control you. It's totally up to you. You can choose. And many people will take what I'm saying and say that this is, you aren't compassionate, you aren't having empathy for those that are having trouble. I have compassion towards you and sometimes what you need is not somebody to come along and validate how bad your situation is and tell you how bad it is. Sometimes you need to bend over and let somebody give you a good swift kick in the rear, amen, and tell you to pull your thumb out of your mouth and start, you know, acting like a person who's been born again and has the power of God in them. You know, we've been resurrected from the dead. We're alive. Other people are dead. There ought to be a difference between a live and a dead person. Man, I was in a church service like this. Somebody died. They called 911 and they took out half the congregation before they found the dead person. Man, you need to act alive. The buzzards are coming. Amen. I'm telling you, we got so much reason to be rejoicing and praising God. He's been so good to us, but most of us are what the Bible calls carnal. We're just looking at things in the physical, natural realm. If your situation is so bad that you just think there's nothing good going on in my life, then just think about heaven. You know, I believe that this is what the Lord was saying in John chapter 14, verse 1, when he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That was the night before his crucifixion. Most people would think, well, this is unreasonable to tell these guys not to let their heart be troubled. They should have been brokenhearted to see their master arrested and beaten and then crucified. And yet Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. And that goes through 14, 15, and 16, John 14 through 16. And at the very last verse of John 16, he says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Such as in the next 30 minutes. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus was proclaiming his victory and his overcoming even before he saw it and telling them to rejoice. If they would have taken what he said, they could have rejoiced by faith, not by feeling, not by sight, but they could have rejoiced by faith 
in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because he had prophesied to them 14 different times that he would be resurrected from the dead. But they just went totally by what they saw. They got into fear. They wound up denying the Lord, running from him. I'm sure that during those three days, it was torment for all of them. But Jesus told them in John chapter 16, verse 1, These things, this is the night before his crucifixion. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. And yet every one of them was offended because they didn't take what he said and they just went by what they saw and what they were feeling. And so he told them, don't let your heart be troubled. And then John chapter 14, verse 2, the very next verse says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. You know why I believe he said that right after told them not to let their heart be troubled? If nothing else, if you can't see anything positive in your life, which again, I believe is more of a criticism of you than it is of your situation. Because all of us have, have things that we could be praising God for. But if you couldn't find anything good in your situation, then you could just close your eyes and start thinking about heaven. That man in heaven, you're going to live in a mansion. Doesn't matter if you live in a dump now. Doesn't matter if you're homeless now. That's no reason to be griping and complaining. And you can start thinking about heaven. In heaven, you're going to have a mansion. You're going to live forever. And there is just zero reason to be depressed, discouraged, griping and complaining because your future is so bright you've got to squint to look at it. I mean, God's got great things planned for you. But you have to choose to lift up your head. You know, the scripture says that the Lord is the lifter up of our head. You know, when a person is depressed and discouraged, their body language shows it. They walk around with their head down and their shoulders slumped. And they're just looking down. They're looking at the situation that's right in front of them. The Lord says, lift up your head, O you gates. The Lord is a lifter up of my head. That means that you aren't just sitting here occupied with the the temporary problems that you've got. But you look at and you're looking in the future. You're looking past your problem. You're seeing that God is alive and well and He's coming through for you. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we got every reason to be rejoicing and praising God. And yet the average person is just letting the circumstances of this world weigh them down and hold them down. And it should not be that way. Man, we are blessed, 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 blessed. But... It's not always in the physical realm. Ephesians 1.3 says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, that means past tense, it's already been done, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. They aren't just physical. They're in the spiritual realm. And as you believe and begin to start rejoicing and acting, you draw what's in the spiritual realm out into the physical realm. It works that way. It's not good enough to just leave everything in the spirit because you aren't only spirit. You've got a soul and a body. You eventually want to be serving God and, and experiencing God, spirit, soul, and body. But it starts by you recognizing that everything is already complete in the spirit. It's done. In the spirit, and you've got it. You know, I just, man, 
These things are exciting to me. It's hard for me to get through these verses. I was really wanting to get through these other verses. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Hath. It's already been done. We aren't waiting on God to reconcile us. He's already reconciled us. The word reconcile means to make friendly again or to harmonize. Did you know when you play a guitar, these guitars that they were playing, before they play them, they reconcile those strings. They put them into harmony. If they aren't reconciled, they're out of tune and it just it doesn't sound good at all. Likewise, we've been reconciled, brought back into harmony with God. You know, you reconcile your bank statement. You keep tabs on everything. And so here's your balance, supposedly. But then the bank sends you their bank statement and you have to reconcile. You have to make them say the same thing. And so this is saying that we have already been reconciled, brought back into harmony, put back into right standing with God. It's not something that's going to happen. It's already happened. You have been reconciled. And I know that Steve is taught these things, but Hebrews chapter 9 and and 10, you've been reconciled from all sin, not just the past sins, but all sins, past, present, and even future sins have been paid for. You are reconciled. You have been reconciled and you're going to stay reconciled forever, regardless of how, how you act. Man, that's awesome. You ought to be praising God for that. So he says, he hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, churches all around the world are going to be telling people that, man, you God's angry at you. God's upset. God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to do this. They're, they're amplifying the problem instead of the answer. But this says that he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. And then in the next verse, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. How did he make us reconciled, brought us back into harmony? The way he did it was he did not impute our sins unto us. The word impute is a uh, accounting term. It means to record like In the days when you used to go into the store and you would buy something and you'd say, put that on my account. So they'd write it down. And then at the end of the month, you'd have to settle your account. You'd have to pay the balance. The way we do it today is like with the credit card. And you give people a credit card. Did you know when you give them the credit card, you didn't pay for it. You just gave them information that allows them to impute it unto you. And if you don't agree with that, if you think, no, I paid for it. Well, when your credit card statement comes, don't pay it. Tell them, no, I paid for it. I gave them my credit card. See how that works. No, you hadn't paid for it. You just had it imputed unto you, and you have to pay for it later. This says the way that we were reconciled unto God, God did not impute our trespasses unto us. He hasn't recorded them. God is not keeping track of your sins. All of your sins, all of your sins, past, present, and even future sins, if you've accepted Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus, this isn't true. But if you've made Jesus your Lord, all of your sins, even the ones you haven't committed, have already been paid for by Jesus. It's like you're getting ready to give your credit card and he pushes your hand away and says, no, put it on my account. He paid 
for your sins. And yet many Christians think, but I've got to pay too. I can't just, I can't, ex- God can't love me like he loves Steve or Kay or somebody who's walking with God. Uh, I've got to suffer a little bit. No, Jesus paid it all. That's like somebody coming up and pushing your hand away and using their credit card. And you say, but I've got to pay something. Let me go ahead and pay some. There's no reason for it. It's already been paid for. He, he reconciled us unto himself by not imputing our sins unto us. And has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We then are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Back there in verse 18 and 19, God reconciled you unto himself. Now he says you Reconcile yourself unto God. God is friendly towards you. God is not imputing your sins unto you. But the sad fact is most Christians are imputing their sins unto them. That's what that book I gave away about uh, who told you that you were naked is all about. Our conscience is condemning us. You know, I've talked about uh, my son being raised from the dead. I just heard that man... uh, Steve was raised from the dead when he was a little kid. I know that most of you here believe that God raises people from the dead, or you wouldn't be at this church. Right. You'd be at the first church of the Frigidaire down the street. <laughs> so you, you're fanatics. You believe that miracles exist. And if somebody was to die right now, and if I said, man, how many of you believe that God will raise this person from the dead? Most of you would be right there with me. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah. But you know where I'd lose a lot of people is I say, all right, if you believe it, you come pray for them. And all of a sudden, some of you who don't have a doubt that if I pray for them, Steve prays for them, that they're going to be raised from the dead. You don't doubt God can do it, but I say, you come pray for them. All of a sudden, instead of faith, there's fear. Instead of excitement, there's dread. What happened? Did you quit believing that God raises from the dead? But no, it's because you don't believe. You haven't reconciled yourself unto God. You believe that you aren't worthy. You don't think God can do something like that through you. And it's not God who's not reconciled to you. It's you that haven't reconciled yourself to God. You are still imputing sin unto you and feeling like, well, I'm not holy enough. Man, I I didn't even study my Bible this week. I got mad at my wife on the way to church today. God couldn't use me. That's against what this is saying. He says now you have to reconcile yourself unto God. God's done His part. He's provided everything. He's not imputing your sins unto you. But are you imputing your sins unto yourself? Are you holding them against you? And I can guarantee if there's any of you that were raised in religion, one of your thoughts you're having right now is, boy... If I was to believe what you're saying, that would just allow me to go live in sin. Because for most people, the only reason they don't sin is because they're afraid God's going to reject them. God's going to punish them. God won't answer their prayer. And it's negative motivation that causes most people to live holy. And so if I say that God's already dealt with your sins and He's already reconciled you, and He's not holding back from you because you have some sin or failure in your life then most people think that's encouraging sin. It's just the opposite. If you ever really understood what God has done for you, if you got a revelation of this, it would make you love God so much 
that you would serve him more by accident than you ever did on purpose before. Matter of fact, if you back up a few verses in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. It was the love of Christ that constrained him. Most people, it's the fear of God. And again, I just taught on the fear of God. We should reverence and honor God as Christian, but we shouldn't be afraid of his punishment. All of that was placed upon Jesus. But out of love and out of respect, we should be serving God now. And yet, most people don't. Fear has torment, 1 John 4.18. And if you are fearing, this is talking about not reverence and love, but if you are dreading God, it's because you haven't reconciled yourself unto God. God's reconciled you unto Him, but you haven't reconciled yourself unto God. You're still imputing sin unto yourself. You're living with sin consciousness, a sense of unworthiness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, the very last phrase of that verse says, There should be no more conscience of sin. You shouldn't even be sin conscious. There's a difference between conscience and conscious. Conscience means that you know that it's right and wrong. You know the difference between right and wrong, but you're no longer condemned over it. You should not be condemned. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And yet the average Christian is living with condemnation. Again, if I said you come up here and pray for this dead person, most people would lose their confidence because you live in a constant state of condemnation. Awareness of sin. I had a guy one time that I was listening to his tape and he, he was at the 830 service on Sunday morning. And he said, how many of you have sinned today? And every hand in the congregation went up. And his wife was one of them. His wife raised her hand. And he says, what have you done? It's only 8.30 in the morning. What have you done? And she said, well, I don't know of anything particular, but I just know that I constantly fail and that I come short. And she just lived confessing that she had sinned. And he says, why don't you focus on what you've done right? You got up, you took a shower so that you wouldn't smell bad, you brushed your teeth, you combed your hair so you'd look better. Those are all good things. Why do we just live with a constant sense of unworthiness? Religion has made us sin conscious. But Christ has redeemed us. And if you fully understand what I'm saying, it won't set you free to sin. It'll set you free from the sin, the guilt and condemnation. And so this last verse it says, for he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin. He didn't have any sin. It wasn't his sin. He took your sin and my sin. He became sin. He didn't just take a little bit of sin. He became Sin. Sin penetrated his body. Over in Isaiah chapter 52, it talks about that his face was marred more than any man who has ever lived on this earth. I've seen people with growths coming out of their eyes. I saw one man that had cancer that had eaten his nose and mouth away and you could see up inside of him. Jesus face was marred more than any person who's ever lived on this planet. And the last part of that verse says, and his form so that he didn't even look human. It wasn't just the Roman beating 
that caused that. He took our sin unto him. He took our sickness. Every deformity that has ever happened on the human race. Every sin. I've seen people with elephantitis and stuff where their legs are, you know, 40 inches around at their ankles and just deformities and everything. All of those things came into his body when he hung on the tree. It wasn't his sin. It was your sin and my sin. Jesus paid for it. And I tell you, he didn't just make a token payment for it and you have to pay the rest. He paid 100% for our sins so that we stand before God and it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's my little layman's definition of what justified means. Just as if I'd never sinned. You are just as if you've never sinned. God doesn't see you as a sinner. Because he's God, he knows what you've done. But God is a spirit. And God looks at you in the spirit. And in the spirit, you are 100% pure. All things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself. Your spirit is perfect and pure. And God sees you that way. But the problem is we don't see ourselves that way. We live in the flesh. You look in the mirror and see... You know, gray hairs and bags or whatever are ugly. And you just, you don't like what you see. But God's not looking on your flesh. He's looking in your spirit and he looks at you and he says, perfect. You are the workmanship of God. And he's pleased with you. He became sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God. You are righteous. You are just as if you had never sinned. Your spirit is as perfect right this moment as it will ever be in eternity. There's going to be no change in your spirit. It's only your physical body. You're going to get a glorified body and your mind will be totally renewed and all of the junk erased and you'll function only in a godly way. But your spirit right this moment as Jesus is, so are you in this world. 1 John four seventeen. Man, that's good news. If you understood what I was talking about today, man, this ought to put a shout in a statue. And if you would think on these things instead of thinking on all of the problems and what you don't have, and if you'd focus on what you do have, you would be able to rejoice and have a peace that passes understanding. When everything in the world is falling apart, you'd be able to rejoice because of what Jesus has done for you. And I haven't even emphasized this, but you know, in your spirit, you got that raising from the dead power. There is no sickness. And to the degree that you let the spirit man control your physical body, you can walk in total healing. I don't get sick. It's been 53 years since I get sick. I don't get sick. I don't believe in being sick. No germ can touch my body and live. And people who are carnal think, well, that's arrogant. I'm not saying that because of my physical body. I'm saying it because of who I am and what I have in the Spirit. And I'm letting it out through my thinking. And as much as I will allow this life that's in my spirit to flow through my flesh, my flesh receives that benefit right here. Amen. Amen. You can be healed today. You can be delivered. Anything that you need. Amen. So I want to give an invitation. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, man, I've shared enough with you today about what salvation is that you got no excuse. You can't stand before God and say, well, I didn't know. You heard the gospel today. 
If you have never made Jesus your Lord, you need to do that. Is there anybody here that would raise your hand and say, I don't think I've done that or I'm not sure. If you aren't sure, then you haven't done it. Because the Bible says that when you get born again, you know that you've passed from death unto life and you have this witness in yourself. If you're just wishing and hoping that you'll get to heaven, you need to do something sure. Anybody here that's never made Jesus your personal Lord? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand and I'll pray with you. Anybody? Everybody born again? If you're born again, raise your hand. Keep them up. I'm looking. All right. It looks to me like everybody here is saved. Then you don't have an excuse. All right. Is everybody here baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues? Raise your hand if you do. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Brother, would you like to receive the Holy Spirit? Would you? Anybody else here like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that does not have it? Anybody else? I don't want to put you on the spot. If you're going to do this just because I'm in... uh, Do you really want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Would you like to speak in tongues? Amen. Anybody else? I tell you what, you don't have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says you receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. But man, I would recommend the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It will transform your life. Would you just come up here and let me pray with you? The Bible says that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, He'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Can you believe that? Yes, sir. You already born again? Yes, sir. Awesome. God wants to fill you with His Holy Spirit more than you want to be filled. Isn't that good? That's good. Man, God loves you. Praise God. Father, we just pray for our brother here. Father, he asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I stand on that scripture that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Father, we're asking. We open up the doors of our temple and welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come fill him. And you said we lay hands on the sick. They recover. We lay hands on people. They receive the Holy Spirit. So I release the power of the Holy Spirit to flow into him right now. You know, let me ask you to put your hands up like this. The Bible says when you lift up your hands, this magnifies the Lord. It blesses the Lord. Let's everybody in here just begin to pray. If you have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, begin to start glorifying God right now. And Father, we thank you that our brother here receives this Holy Spirit right now. And we choose to speak in tongues in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Brother, I believe God's given you the Holy Spirit. Could I get one of those books that I gave away on the new you Holy Spirit? I'm going to give you this book. I believe that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. But you need to go ahead and speak in tongues. Will you do that? Read this book? Yes, sir. All right. Amen. Here comes this book. And I promise you there's been thousands of people speaking tongues after reading it. Hey, God bless you. Anybody in here need a miracle today? Here's... Do you or do you not? 
Amen. Anybody, if you need a miracle in your body, I'm, we need to get out of here pretty quickly. So just stand right now and, and I'm going to pray with you. And I want the people that are around you to lay hands on you. All right, so everybody stood. What I was, I was talking about those that need a miracle. All right, if you, if you need a miracle and you're standing, raise your hand so we can see who you are. And those of you that are around these people, lay hands on them. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but you uh, lay hands on them and we're going to release this power of God. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that by your stripes we have been healed. That you've already provided this and that in our spirit we have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's in us. It's not out there someplace. It's in us. And right now we release it with our words. We lay hands on these people and we command sickness, disease, infirmity, cancers, problems, whatever they are. We just command those things to leave right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we release your power right now into their bodies and believe that from this moment on, their physical bodies are changed, that they recover, that they are healed. And we thank you. We receive it by faith in what your word says in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Again, let me say thanks for having me come. Man, this is an honor. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it. You you guys are awesome. Praise God. So I'll turn it back over to Pastor Steve. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.